Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime, it's showtime. My name is Michael Carter. I'm on this train rapping about my life. All I do is act, I just sit back, relax, enjoy the show. The donation be glad, they appreciate it. Keep them up. Everybody, Hi, everybody. This is John. It's January 1st, 2019. Uh, and I thought I would record a brief uh, show note uh, before the actual program. Um, I am riding right now the New York City subway, as you can hear. Uh, we're being treated to a very lively performance. Um, but it was not always this safe on the subway. And uh, Tim talks a little bit about the bad old days of living in New York City in 1991, 1992, the tail end of the first Bush administration. And while we were editing this episode, we stumbled upon this documentary about what it was like uh, to live in the city during that time that I think you'll really find interesting. So, you know, even if you don't normally look at the show notes, uh, I suggest you do for this episode because there's a link to this uh, incredible documentary of video journalists working with the crime beat in 1991 in New York City, and it's fascinating. So uh, take a look at that. But for right now, just sit back and listen to the first episode in a very long time of the Barstool Historian. Talk to you later. It's been so long that I've completely forgotten how to write an intro. We're bringing our microphones and our old friend the Blamometer out of storage for this episode of the Barstool Historian. everyone welcome back to the bar stool historian after a long time uh, welcome back this is john sitting in the lion's arms tavern once again here on the new york side of the bar with me as always is tim hello tim good evening and over there on the geneva illinois side of the bar in strike teacher strike ravaged geneva illinois is ed hello ed sup so uh, it's been a long absence, and I have to apologize for that. There's a very reasonable explanation for that. Uh, basically, I wanted to build a wall around uh, the Lion's Arms Tavern, and uh, Ed and Tim just didn't want to pay for it. They just didn't consider tavern security a, a, a priority. So I just shut the podcast down. For uh, <laughs> I thought that the peasants were paying for the wall. <laughs> oh, they will. Oh, they will. One way or the People other. People trying to get in should have paid for it. Okay. You made a lot of promises, John. A lot of promises broken. So anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be back on the podcast healing this riff. That that's obviously happened over the field wall. So. <laughs> we'll we'll work through it. We'll work through it. Um, but a lot is uh, a lot has changed over the past few months. A lot has stayed the same. Um, surprisingly enough, I mean, Ed still only has five children. Um, I actually, I added another another four. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has been cr- several months, so I guess that's the all the time and, you need. Uh, no, I'm joking. I still have five. <laughs> I'm still living in uh, the same two-bedroom Sin. apartment with my family <laughs> in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, but what else has changed? Uh, we have one less president than we had a few months ago. 
George H.W. Bush uh, passed away. So we'll talk a little bit about that later today. Um, we also have a different Supreme Court. That went really smoothly. Swimmingly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... Uh, but, uh, but today, we're kicking the podcast off. This is sort of a welcome back episode. Um, I have uh, on my computer uh, hours worth of content that is like a, a, this, this imposing mountain that um, is a pretty terrifying climb. And I've been editing it in little bits and starts over the past uh, several months. And uh, I, I just have to share with you guys a few things that I, I discovered uh, in, in this mountain of content. Okay. Basically, you think that for a podcast about history that, you know, there wouldn't be so much that would uh would date itself very much. Fake, um, fake news. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I actually um uh found a couple of episodes where um uh, well, there's one episode in particular, an episode about dueling that is sort of like the holy grail of episodes for us. I've been working on it for maybe two years at least. Um, and it'll come out one of these days. It's it's really good. And in this... It's amid, it's really the, can, I, can I call it, John, can I call it the Citizen Kane of podcasting episodes? It's it's more um, like um, Eyes Wide Shut, which... Eyes Wide Shut 11 years to make. Yeah. So, so you know, so Joe like Rogan, part of my take. Be be aware that's it's coming out. Well, <laughs> that's a thermonuclear bomb that's about uh, to happen. I hope that's where the comparison ends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe it's more like a maybe it's more like AI, where I'll never live yeah. to finish it, and then Steven Spielberg will have to come in uh, and finish it, but put aliens at the end of it. Yeah, John, I I can't imagine how much gold we were able well, to weave the, out of a. Five hour recording session. Well, let me let me completely tell you. Completely wasted. <laughs> I, I do recall being in a cl- a, a classic uh, office conference room, very late <laughs> at night, with no one, uh, not a soul, but John, uh, me and John, um, sitting there, uh, <laughs> and we had we had finally gotten to my segment, and. <laughs> I uh, spoke uh, rather verbosely as I do, and I looked over, and John was definitely beginning to fall asleep. <laughs> and we were we we were at it for a long, long time. I, I think that, I was like literally like listening to another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it, it was so long An ago. Hour, hour five and a half. <laughs> it, it was it was so long ago that that Tim had to. Reintroduce the world to uh, the story of Alexander Hamilton and uh, and the duel that he fought, and it's so funny to listen to now because it's clearly in a pre-Hamilton musical world where um, y- you know that assumes that most of the audience doesn't even know that Hamilton was was killed in a duel, and um, and then I kid you not, there's another episode that um, I thought was completely lost um, until I recently figured out. Um, how to restore the file, and it was it was a it was an episode about the lost Roanoke colony, appropriately enough. Yeah. But on there, we're giving recommendations, and I am recommending this this little musical called Hamilton, and um, I'm trying to describe it to you guys, and I'm saying, well, okay, it's this. It's, now, just hear me out here. It's it's a musical uh, about Alexander Hamilton, and and a lot of it is is done in rap. 
And both of you guys are so, like, okay. No, okay. nope. <laughs> Hard pass. Horrible. This is a tragedy. So, let, let, let me let me shame John here. So if you got that out, we would be so woke and uh, we'd have a ton of cred. But instead, uh, it went in, you know, we you forgot about it? Wow. Shame. Shame. Sounds I don't know, John. Yeah, right. If I were you, I, I would demand a satisfaction at this point. That's uh, it. That's know. it. Ed, you, you meet me in Weehawken. I give you yes, the, I give you the cyber glove. I give you the cyber glove. <laughs> Tim, will you be my second? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so what? Okay, remember the Nintendo glove? All right. I remember yeah, the, like, the Fred Savage yeah. movie that contained the uh, Nintendo yeah, okay. Power right. Glove. So yeah, that that's a weapon of choice. So yeah, pick <laughs> your game. <laughs> You're on. Um, but anyway, so uh, before we go any further, guys, uh, I I can't forget our um, little ritual here, as I I have forgotten in the past, uh, which is what we're drinking right now. Let's start with you. What are you drinking? Well, gentlemen, I have a real treat here. And um, I'm just going to read you a little caption, something that we discussed on one of the podcasts that probably wasn't aired, that John will dust off uh, someday. The same way that in 2007, 11 intact bottles containing the McKinley Rare Old Highland Malt Whiskey that was um, carried on Shackleton's ship um, in 1907 on his expedition. Uh, McKinley has recreated that um, that uh, scotch, and uh, it's it's certainly I I, I think um, n- was inspired by the journey. I doubt that this is exactly uh, what it tasted like. In fact. When I poured it for the first time, and and I didn't allow the cubes to open it up, <laughs> I said, "Hmm, Shackleton was Dog drinking. Made. He was drinking Dewars." Um, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, but actually, um, actually, as you uh, let it open up, it really has wonderful notes of vanilla, and it's 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 quite good. It's a very handsome bottle, um, and I I would recommend it if not for the conversation. Um, you know, certainly, uh, it's worth a shot. So, does this whiskey um, does it taste at all of penguin? <laughs> Tim, um, Tim, Tim, is it autumnal? It's, no, it, it, it's <laughs> it, 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 it's got a, a note of canine, I should say. Um, <laughs> oh no! Actually, <laughs> poor guys. Oh, uh, well, finest spirits in South Georgia Island. Um, <laughs> Ed, what about you? What are you drinking? All right, well, I have to give uh, big props, sup, Jen, my wife, because uh, oh. last year I had a big uh, misadventure. I went to Costco, and they had an entire beer advent calendar of German beer, and I was just about to get it, but it was like 
November like 24th. I'm like, I'll, I'll get it later. I went back. I talked to the checkout guy. He's like, oh, yeah, no, that sells out in like one day. You saw it. You should definitely have bought it. So I was very, very sad. So Jen, out of the love, loveness of our heart uh, and uh, being an awesome wife, made me my own beer advent calendar. That's, so That's a woman I, for you. She's I a keeper. N- yeah, no doubt. And they've been uh, very interesting. Two, two separate pirate-themed <laughs> rum barrel-aged uh, in double Russian imperial porters or uh, stouts. I mean, basically the same thing. Uh, one was 17%. What? One was 13%. The 17% one. I opened it and started drinking. She's like, okay, I'm about to throw up. You don't need to drink that. It was like, I was just drinking grog at that point. Uh, so today's was... Yes, they've all been interesting. Today's was a little bit anodyne, unfortunately. They're all surprises. It was just Sam Adams' uh, winter lager. But right this second, it is uh, Sierra Nevada Hot Bullet Double IPA. So that's what I'm drinking. It's pretty good. That's a good one. I I know that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well... I told you guys before we started recording that I was a little embarrassed about what I'm, I'm, I've got in front of me. Um, so let is, me it, ex- is it a shandy? No, no, Is it autumnal? No, it is a very <laughs> cheap wine. I mean, basically... Uh, oh, Mad Dog? Dude, Carlo Rossi? No, 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 no. It is a... Um, I don't know wine at all. I'm a, a bit of a beer snob, but I don't know wine at all. And this is a, one of Australia's most affordable. Uh, <laughs> this is... God, that sounds dangerous. <laughs> this is the Yellowtail Shiraz, which oh, uh, has a little not cartoon good. kangaroo on it. It is really... Yeah. You know, I remember it being acceptable, but it's no, yeah. it's really you, not. You know, yeah. actually... Yeah, no. the, you actually, want, you and Binford's or whatever it is. It's, it, yeah. it, it can be a little confusing when you go to the, uh, the liquor store. The Yellowtail Shiraz and the Yellowtail uh, Shiraz Reserve yes. look very similar, but the, but the Reserve is actually quite good. The, the, yeah. the, re, the Yellowtail Shiraz is, is swill. There's toenails floating around in it. <laughs> yeah, <but>. Well, <coughs> I, I have no excuse sure to be confused. Are you sure it's not just Guinness with like, Australian blood in it? <laughs> It's got real convicts' blood in it, uh, <laughs> right? So Come yes, on. this is definitely penal colony uh, uh, wine here. But uh, but oh well, I'll do better next time. <laughs> Please try to. <laughs> um, but next time I'm going to try to get my current favorite beer, which uh, is uh, the um, what is it? The Costa Rica Schwarzbier. Did you say Costa Rican German? No, Costa Rica. Uh, okay. Co- uh, Costa Rica <laughs> beer. I did. I did have a Costa very interesting Rican beer from Costa Rica once, though. In all seriousness, I did get an uh, interesting beer from Costa Rica. This is not. This is. This is not made up. Uh, one of my first jobs out of college was working on uh, the official website for Star Trek, and uh, the people at Paramount sent us a, a gift when we launched, and it was um, a pack of Romulan ale. And it was the color of Windex. And it was made in Costa Rica. And it tasted like fermented scope. 
Uh, Those Romulans do have minty fresh bread. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you may remember that uh, here at the Lion's Arms Tavern, we have some pretty incredible technology. Uh, The most incredible, perhaps, is a device that we call the Blamometer. And the Blamometer is, uh, how how would you describe this? super advanced artificial intelligence um, that basically allows you to find out very precisely how uh, blameworthy um, a specific person or event was for a certain historical outcome. And so in the past, we, uh, we, we used the blameometer to determine uh, how blameworthy uh, Neville Chamberlain was for the outbreak of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, how uh, how blameworthy the uh, Homo sapiens were for wiping out the Neanderthals. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> so I thought we would uh, turn the machine on and and uh, give it a give it another go. Since we recently lost a president, uh, President George H. Uh, w. Uh, Bush, and he's been uh, the subject of a lot of uh, reminiscences on television mm-hmm. and in the media. One phrase kept on being repeated again and again, and it was that infamous read my lips, no new taxes line. My opponent won't rule out raising taxes, but I will, and the Congress will push me to raise taxes, and I'll say no, and they'll push, and I'll say no, and they'll push again, and I'll say to them, read my lips, no new taxes. You know, in these these generally... uh reverent profiles of him that that was their you know shorthand historical asterisk he was a you know uh, you know a great leader etc cetera, etc cetera. but then there was that one time he promised uh, no new taxes and, and and welched on that promise um and it, for me that kind of uh that really annoyed me because uh, I, it was such a more complex situation i think for why he didn't uh, get reelected. It's pretty remarkable that he had for a, a one-termer a funeral that coincided with uh, Wall Street shutting down and mm-hmm. mail delivery stopping. It's hard to imagine that you know happening to to another one-term president. So, oh, that's where my mail went. Mail stopped. <laughs> that's I right. Was wondering about that. <laughs> Fine. So I thought we would we would pose this to the uh, to the blameometer. Um, how blameworthy was the uh, read my lips, no new taxes pledge, uh, and going back on that promise? How blameworthy was that for him not getting reelected? So let me just boot this thing up here. Hold on. I am Blamometer 5000, and I have a perfect operational record for assigning blame to historical individuals. All right, Blamometer, uh, we're ready for you. So, uh, the way this works is we basically feed information uh, into the Blamometer and uh, let uh, the machine deliver its verdict. So, uh, let me just start off by saying that um, there were. The- I think that George H.W. Bush was really a victim of uh, his own success and that um, the reasons for his, real, his, his lack of a re-election were, uh, were not entirely rational 
they were, I believe, uh, pretty emotional. Uh, people had a certain perception of him as being out of touch, and um, uh, the uh, the fact that the Cold War had ended, and that here here was a a, a career Cold Warrior. Uh, at, the, at the end of the Cold War, who just seemed somewhat obsolete and outmoded to the American public. Uh, you know, that made him seem like a cranky old man. And this one phrase, for many people, encapsulated that idea of, of this guy who um, is out of touch, doesn't really care about the average person, and uh, made them uh, be attracted to people like Bill Clinton, who wanted to feel their pain. And or, or Ross Perot, who wanted, you know, to grow his ears into Dumble-like uh, <laughs> ears and you know, fly off and... Uh, On his way to Mount Doom yes. <laughs> with his furry feet. I'm all ears. <laughs> Tim, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to concur with you, um, agree with your ultimate opinion, but differ a little bit um, on how we got there. Um, I think that the Read My Lips, I think uh, a series of of other events, Read My Lips, the the fact that if if you remember, he visited a grocery store and and couldn't, uh, didn't know how to scan... Uh, any of the products or groceries. He, he yeah, wasn't familiar th- with the scanner. Th- that was fake news, too. And that was that was a hit piece, too. It, well, That's it, come out since, yeah, it, because it was like a new, brand-new system that yes. they were just debuting. It was. And if you remember, uh, in, I believe, the second debate, um, he glanced at his watch. And oh, yeah. The, the media picked up on that and, and really pummeled him for it. Um, and all of it played into a narrative that was framed by Clinton, uh, that he was out of touch, cold, patrician, um, and as you said, John, didn't feel their pain. But I think the backdrop uh, was, was fairly complicated. In 1992, we had the shortest recession in history. And if you go back, I, I went and looked at uh, some of the newspaper articles and there's historical data that, that indicates that if, you're, uh, if you have six months of, of straight growth and, and you're coming out of recession, um, going into a presidential campaign, generally that uh, incumbent wins. But there were a lot of economists that didn't believe that Bush would win. And it was because, I think, some of the dynamics in, in, in the economy. 1990 uh, was the beginning of the transition of the U.S. economy from, um, a servi- from, from, from a manufacturing economy to a service economy. And in June of, uh, of, of 92, uh, I think the unemployment rate was somewhere at 7.8%. They had lost around 1.6 million jobs uh, under his term, and most of them came from the manufacturing industry uh, and construction. And that played into, even though we were coming out of recession, that played into this feeling in the country that uh, there was a decline in competitiveness. And some of those uh, areas of manufacturing were disproportionately affected by that. And Ross Perot 
really focused on that issue and the issue of free trade and the flow of labor and capital really um, um, taking jobs out of the country, which effectively uh, blamed Bush, who was now a new leader living in the shadow of, of the lion, Ronald Reagan, and, and the great successes of the last eight years, now owning a decline. And the difference in leadership, I think, Ross Perot generally focusing on that issue um, and the general feeling in the country, even though we were coming out of a recession, that jobs were being lost, there was a decline in competitiveness, the dollar was at a low, so if you remember, money was flowing in from foreign countries, Japanese uh, entrepreneurs bought Rockefeller Center, there was a lot of outrage about that, and there was a general feeling that the United States was in decline, and he owned yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The J Japanese brought bought the Sears Tower, and uh, I remember being a kid. Are they gonna, they're going to call it the Tokyo Tower? They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's uh, urban myth, but uh, yeah, well, you know, well, yeah. wow, they're buying everything. And there were some some pejorative uh, comments and xenophobic uh, remarks made. I remember people were referring to it as Rockefeller Center. And, oh, jeez. Uh, um, you know, there was a general feeling, I think, in the country that um, Bush, a great proponent of free trade, um, Perot really married that with the decline in manufacturing and construction jobs. And if you remember, I mean, pe we're in an age now where California is a solid blue state, but Bush won it. Uh, uh, in the previous election, Reagan won it. Um, so, you know, Southern California was, was disproportionately impacted by that, and, and that took it out of the game. So I think Perot's uh, very incisive Trumpian uh, agenda um, of, um, you know, uh, of, uh, anti perhaps isolationism, more anti-free uh, uh, trade uh, tariff uh, tariff policy and so forth really, I think, tied an albatross to Bush. Free trade was associated with job loss. The recession, though short, was, uh, was really uh, qu quite an intense eight months of, of job deterioration. And even though there's this Perot myth, they say, that the exit polls indicate that he was strongest in the states that Bush won, I think from a, a policy standpoint, I think Bush was in the shadow of Reagan. He was unable to capitalize on accomplishments. He wasn't nimble enough to respond to a modern campaign. And the first tweet ever without Twitter, which was, it's the economy, stupid. I think, you know, the most effective sentence yeah. in politi modern political history, I think really galvanized uh, that narrative, the read my lips uh, remark, and it made him almost irrelevant in light of, of a modern Clinton campaign. I, I think what you say, John, about who Bush was, it's, worth, it's worthy to pay tribute to him here as well as to discuss his, his faults. I think you're absolutely right. He took the Soviet uh, Union off the table but that was such a monumental thing. This is a guy who was at a 90% approval rating at the end of the Gulf War. He had, you know, essentially, he had, uh, he had 
taken the helm of the of the uh, geopolitical and economic and normative infrastructure that was built after World War One, and he coolly and diplomatically um, brought the deterioration of the Soviet Union, a nuclear state that went from an empire into disparate, uh, loose uh, states with their finger on, on the button. He brought that uh, into a stable scenario without a shot being fired. I think that accomplishment alone w makes him a great president. But I think that as you said, it took it off the table, and he wasn't able to really capitalize on that because he wasn't a good campaigner. And uh, I think Clinton captured that. I think Perot neutralized, uh, you know, and, and, and framed an important issue and tied it around his neck. So ultimately, I think the question is complex. I would like to blame Perot as someone who viewed him as a hero in, in 1992, as, as a sophomore in high school, uh, my first bout of political defeat was, uh, was really, <laughs> I was really in abject depression. But objectively speaking, I would have to say that it's, you know, Bush owns it because he, he waged a poor campaign and was from an old whistle-stop mentality, and he was unable to shake the modern narrative that Carville and Clinton framed, and that's why he lost. Well, he certainly, uh, uh, George H.W. Bush, if you've seen the uh, uh, HBO profile of him, uh, 41, uh, he seemed to uh, blame Perot, for sure. <laughs> oh, very, when, very when, succinctly. When he yeah. is, uh, yes, when he's asked about uh, uh, Perot, he says, don't like him. You know, cost me the presidency. But how about you, Ed? What do you think as far as uh, the reasons why he, he, he lost? Yeah, right. I mean, he was the last big wasp. And got to say this is something that has to, you know, leap forward. He did uh, win uh, a House of Representatives uh election in Texas like three times but after that he was basically just promoted from within yeah. the Republican Party he got appointed and appointed and appointed and made a vice mm. president so he didn't have to do much retail politicking at all so basically when he's out campaigning in 1988 1992 the last time he did it was in like 19 you know, 64 <laughs> in yeah. like Houston, Texas. So I think that's, uh, yeah, we're underselling that a little bit. I think that's a great uh, point. Yeah, that's I, true. Yeah, I, I think Ross Perot really jumped on something. And because a lot of the NAFTA stuff in, in the WTO stuff with China and all the mistakes, I think we're now saying like, wow, we made some big ass mistakes with China. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it didn't really happen under him either, but it was the kind of launching pad of that. But yeah, there was a lot of, you know, oh, do we want to have, you know, we're doing okay. We're doing awesome here. We're winning the Cold War. Why are we suddenly taking down all our tariffs? Eh, maybe. I think the, the biggest 
reason is that, man, parties just can't win three elections in a row. I mean, it's incredibly rare to do it. Four elections? I mean, there better be a depression or a, uh, you know, some national emergency. So uh, I think it was just time. I, I really do. Here's something that struck me when I was looking back at the numbers here uh, for um, unemployment from the year 1992, the year he was defeated. So well, the, the, the average the for that year for 92 was, was 7.5%. That was for the year 1992. It was yeah. consistently around, it, it did peak at 78 in June, but yeah. it was, you know, uh, between you know 7.3 and 7.8. Mm. The year that um, Reagan won re-election, it was virtually the same. In 1984, 7.51%. The big difference was is that two years before, in 1984, in 1982, the, um, the unemployment rate in December 82 was almost 11%. It was 10.8%. Yeah. And in yeah, you know, and but that was that I, was art, that was artificial, and that was to, to you know fight like everyone gave Reagan kind of a pass, and I remember my dad almost got laid off from International Harvester that year in Chicago, and it was it was scary, but it was a intentional Paul Volcker like yeah, we have to put interest rates up to like. 15% because yeah. inflation yeah. is out of control and strangle it now. It's going to suck. It's going to hurt. A lot of people are going to get laid off. Remember when being laid off actually meant being like laid off and you could actually, they'd call you like, yeah, come back to work. That that was uh, in that era back then. He didn't, thank God. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was a man-made thing mm-hmm. in... 1990, you know, one, it was 92. I mean, it was the it was the lightest recession in history. And can we can we say the grunge rock movement was <laughs> the uh, least legit f-ing movement ever? I got to yes. say this because I mean, Nirvana. You know, I, like we're miserable. Everyone's miserable. You know, Mick Jobs, everything like right before the biggest boom in American history. It's I'm in like in the middle of the shortest recession. It uh, it looks it's a bad look now. Uh, Well, I'm uh, glad you mentioned that because I think that there was and Tim and I were talking about this uh, a little while ago. There was a certain aesthetic that. it's cool to be miserable. I well, mean, but that the, was the miserable aesthetic. look just permeated. <laughs> we, we lived through it. it. Well, it permeated popular culture. So there was the yeah. horrible, you know, grunge look. But it was all over the news as well. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> stop, 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 stop. Are you saying that just wearing like a uh, ill-fitting <laughs> flannel? flannel plaid shirt is not a good look. <laughs> it is if you're in, in a Boston pub, but you have to have your hat back. John, you, you tell me this now. You told me this uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. Fine. I'll stop doing that. I, I should have told, I should have, I should have given you the memo back then. Ed. Yeah. 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 You gave me the memo. <laughs> Give me many bad movie review memos, but not not the uh, not, anti-plot. <laughs> yeah. There was a um, there was a uh, Saturday Night Live sketch 
in uh, January 1992 that f- for me has always, you know, I've, I've never forgotten it uh, since it aired because it, it really captured something of that time. Uh, it, I, I was, was it Dieter and the Monkey? No. I, I'm with you, John. <laughs> that captured a different aspect of that time, but <laughs> I sent it to both of you guys. And it's it's a sketch where Dana Carvey as George Bush is coming into this diner in, um, in New Hampshire. And it's f- filled with all of these really forlorn looking blue collar types and they're wearing parkas and stocking caps and they're all miserable and he comes in and the first thing he says is how are you persian golf how are you good to see you persian golf the aroma of fresh brewed coffee in here which had been a whole year before that and at one point chris farley comes up to him and says i'd like to ask you something yeah I haven't worked in over a year and a half. Yeah, tough, tough times, Sarah. Yeah, well, I'd like to know how you justify your pay raise while families like mine go hungry. Yeah, okay, okay, my friend. I, I deserve that, deserve that. You know, I know people are hurting, but the message today is I care, and I'm ready to listen. I'm here, I'm hands-on, and I'm domestic. I'm a hands-on domestic listener. And I hear people out there, they got real problems because we're in real trouble. And you know what, young man? I care about you. You ruined my life! <laughs> it was funny. I mean, it's still funny, but it was funny then because th- that those images of, of people looking depressed, forlorn, that was all over no. the news at that point. I yeah. know, and recession is a depression. Half a year yeah. later, people are hiring at record levels, and but, we but, had nothing on 2007, 2008. I, but I, I, I want to raise a point because I think uh, we're all we're all sort of saying the same thing, which is that the numbers shouldn't reflect. Um, how the people felt at the time. Yep. And this particular New York Times article that I read, which was very interesting, again, these True. economists had had projected that they didn't believe uh, because of the way that the economy was transitioning and because of how it impacted the manufacturing industry and, and, and the... Uh, the the middle income worker in the country, the construction worker, the the manufacturing job, because of how it it focused and depressed those areas and demonstrated uh, or or advanced this notion of declining competitiveness and declining America, and because of the disparate impact of the economic decline on particular communities, I think that there was this general feeling of despair in the country. And John, you, you, you raised a great point uh, when, when we were texting earlier, and that is um, you brought up the L.A. riots. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, I, I was in the uh, high school play in sophomore year. It was a, a musical. And while I was performing in the musical, it was the weekend following the L.A. riots, and, and those riots, if you remember, spread across the country to many, many cities. And as I was performing in that play, you could hear the storefront windows breaking out in the street. And um, 
there was a lot of violence that was occurring. There was a, there was a, a, a general feeling of a, a very dark feeling in the country. Um, and that period in New York City was abject. In Greenwich Village had gone from a, a, an interesting, eclectic, uh, warm place to be with families and the imprint of Italian-American immigration and the confluence of artists and, um, and, all, and that, that synergy that, was, that was really made it a wonderful place to grow up. Overnight... And it seemingly, it turned into a drug den. You couldn't walk into your building without stepping on a crack vial. Or, Seriously? Or, or, usher, I, I, or, or ushering people who were sh- literally shooting up heroin in your vestibule. You, you had to ask them to leave in order to gain access to your home. It was horrible. And that was 1990, 91, 92. In in, wow. in in Lower Manhattan, which is, you know, now a yeah. and has been a crown jewel and a wow. center of of wealth, uh, a, a symbol of wealth in the state in the country, it was a horrible place to live. Can we just say this right now? He's the last kind of politician that will get elected president. I mean, he was able to get elected despite not being elected to any national office except vice president. So, but, you know, with Ronald Reagan as his, uh, his running mate, uh, the president running mate, and uh, he had like three wins in the House of Representatives in Houston, in this little district. So, I mean, you're not going to see that again, are you? I, I don't think it's going to happen again. I, I really don't. I think it's going to be weird-ass, out of nowhere, people like Donald Trump or people that have been in the national game forever, like Joe Biden and uh, whatnot, and, you know, not Hillary Clinton. That's that's never happening. Well, I, well, I, I one thing I'd agree with, and that's, uh, no one before him or since uh, has had a resume like his. That be, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying, Ed, in terms of his, oh yeah, no, his you're being right. Appointed. He was all over the place. But he was wh- a war hero? Yeah, absolutely. Wh- wh- one of the things, CIA. One of the th- one of the things that I think um, is sad about the way in which uh, presidential transitions take place now is that. Um, they're they're so volatile and revolutionary in nature, and they put people in place who are not professional bureaucrats and have no idea how the government runs. I mean, when Bush won, he seamlessly just walked down the hall and took the mantle. He understood the culture of the organizations. He had the relationships geopolitically with all the global leaders. I mean, talk about... A seamless transition to power. It would be, I think it would be comforting to have that again. And I agree. Oh my God. I don't think uh, we ever t- will. T- Tim, I, 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 are you uh, advocating a uh, royalty of the United States, a king? 
<laughs> I think you are. Well, listen, Jefferson was an idiot, and uh, federalism is where it's at. You know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so what about the phrase itself? Uh, read my lips, no new taxes. What do we think about that, that particular promise that he made, that he went back on? You know, it, it, was, a, it was an own goal. And uh, at the time, it was a very, very, like, you know, put a dagger in your own stomach uh, kind of uh, self, selflessness by him. Because he knew the Democrats were going to, uh, oh, I hear someone pouring whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, he knew the de- he, he knew the Democrats were going to make hay on this. But he wanted to get a deal uh, done and and get uh, the deficit down. And the deficit at the time was so much lower than it was now. But they were scared. <laughs> so so yeah, I think it would have been okay anyway. So yeah, he um, <laughs> we've had several pre- presidents have just you know busted through any fiscal dis- discipline whatsoever. So he would have been totally fine. Long story short, my my uh, little ramble is, uh, yeah, no, he should have just, uh, he shouldn't have done it. And it probably wouldn't have been a big deal if he uh, didn't do it. And uh, yeah, well, uh, we wouldn't have uh, some of those Clint. Clinton classic moments, you know, with like the dress and everything like that. Oh, boy. Bush had won. Oh, oh boy. Probably, and it probably would have been Al Gore elected in 1996. God knows. <laughs> Counterfactual history, people. So, um, so let's put it I'll to... I'll take uh, another belt of beer. Let's put it to the blameometer here. Uh, blameometer. How blameworthy is the phrase... Read my lips, no new taxes for the defeat of George H.W. Bush in 1992. Your Playmometer score is five. Oh, God. I'm going to say like more like eight or nine. I really do. I mean, the Pat Buchanan thing, um, I mean, I think that sapped a lot of I mean it was a close it was a weird close election and a lot of those dissidents went to to Perot so yeah. uh I I think it hurt I I think it he should have just and you know what own bad should have just said it uh yeah it hurt him because he should have just said you know you. no the deficit we're fine fine USA you anti-america come on <laughs> we're off we're fine uh, but he didn't, and he went and he tried to like work with the Democrats, and you know, famous last words had absolutely screwed him. Ultimately, I blame him for not being nimble enough to execute a modern campaign, which is what Clinton did. There were ways to reframe that because the the, the Democrats didn't fulfill their obligations under the deal. They didn't cut spending. He could have framed it and explained it, but he never did, and he could never get out of his own way. I think it was really his failure to to wage a modern uh, campaign. Oh, you know what? I think a politician that ran for, you know, more than like a couple, you know, House seats, 
and got appointed to everything else in his life might have uh, sussed that out. But anyway, that's just me. Well, I th- I think it's I think he deserve I think it deserves more than a five as well, um, because that that phrase came to mean uh, all kinds of things to so many different people, and um, you know it, beyond the whole idea of taxes, it was that uh, I think it was just this little handy soundbite in an age that became increasingly obsessed with sound bites like the it's the economy stupid it was the yeah, anti it's, it's the economy stupid and it's, for it's people tru- it, 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 I, truly electric yeah i yeah. can't believe it so hasn't it, it, been in a hip-hop song it, it, it so. became if, this if, cudgel if, that, that, that the, his opponents could use and he, the other thing was and we didn't discuss about discuss this at the same time in 1992 you know that was the rise of um that's when conservative talk radio really exploded, yeah. and and he tried to adopt yep. some of that that the, the culture war rhetoric, and it was not a good fit. We are going to keep on trying to strengthen the American family to make American families a lot more like the Waltons and a lot less like the Simpsons. Huh? Hey, we're just like the Waltons. We're praying for an end to the depression too. George H. W. Bush <laughs> had some amazing. of the best. He had some of the best moments in The Simpsons ever. I mean, there was the episode where, you know, uh, yeah. he gets pushed, he gets kicked out of this uh, party, and he's yeah. told by security, "No one turns, <laughs> no one turns." And, and, oh and my Jimmy God. Carter walks up and says, "You too, huh?" <laughs> yeah, that was like, great. <laughs> Get away like, from me, you loser! <laughs> I, 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 I gotta say, The Simpsons, and and here, yeah. So here he is. Okay. Here he is talking the about The Simpsons episode with him. Probably did more to make George. H.W. Bush, and it was after he got diselected, uh, made him more human and more, you know, like, well, yeah, you know, but we kind of like that, you know, angry old, you know, yeah. guy. He made him more human and made him, yeah, more lovable. And then he had, after that, it was win after win after win after win for him. He was parachuting. He was, you know, apparently they called Bill Clinton the uh, the last Bush child. They loved each other. I mean, he was just passing love, doing good things, raising money. I mean, you know, good life, right? Well, uh, For a guy I, that like essentially won like essentially three House of Representative elections and. Uh, Got uh, elected on uh, Reagan's coattails. I mean, yeah. he had a good life. You know, uh, the reason I think, the reason I, I don't attribute more than a five to read my lips is because the, the, the tax issue is a policy issue, and reneging on that promise really disenfranchised the base. But it didn't capture the economic issues that underlie uh, and the recessionary conditions that created disenchantment with his presidency. If you, if we were talking about, it's the economy, stupid. I would attribute, and I'd give that an eight. I think that captured more than anything uh-huh. what people were, were feeling about his disconnectedness and about the general conditions, uh, um, the, the 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 general conditions of despair. That to me captures yeah. the context for for which. Which formed the basis of, of his loss. 
Oh, the, the, I, the, the read my lips is, is, is that 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 disenfranchised the base. That was, you know, something that could have been rehabilitated, and it really is a it's a policy issue. But it doesn't, to me, capture the essence of of why he lost. I I, I really. I don't give it more. Yeah, no, can 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 I can I add on that? Um, we can you know link it to where we are now. That's a very astute thing. There was a sense of yeah, things are cheaper at the stores. You can go to Walmart and t-shirts are now like three bucks instead of five bucks because we're getting them from uh, China instead of Taiwan. I mean, there was an opening of the economy. But people, you know, I remember when, uh, and we should do a, another podcast about how Hillary lost, because oh, it boy. would be a good companion thing to this. It would. About it would. a super connected person lost. And someone, if I'm wrong about who, who said this, it was like in Detroit or something. I thought it was to Hillary Clinton. It might have been to another politician and they were saying something like i i ipads are you know cheap and someone yells i can't eat an ipad (laughs) and i'm like yeah exactly (laughs) so that is some of the uh the the angst the angst i'm gonna get 90s again (laughs) angst that uh you're talking about you know things are going well, but uh, they're kind of yeah. I that's a good know, know the way they're going right now, and that was the beginning of it. And uh, yeah, free trade and everything. I mean, it's a good it's a know. good point. It's another example of 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 you know the the con when you have a contrast of really good news <laughs> um, and successes. And then you know more recent failures. Those failures really, really hurt. They really. It's the victim of your own success. Yeah, it was. It was like good news. We won in Iraq. Yes, we beat Saddam Hussein. Yes, it's also a t-shirt to three bucks. But you got laid off. Yes. Yeah. No, and that highlights the general maxim that in 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 economics there are winners and losers. And, yeah. and, and in this transitional phase of the economy, from yeah. manufacturing to service, there were huge winners, and the consumer was a winner. But there, there were large pockets of the American population in states that were very important for him that were in despair, and they lost jobs and didn't have the skills to yep. uh, to shift into a different line exactly. of work, and those people voted against him. They voted for Perot, who identified free trade with that sucking sound, as he as he called it. <laughs> that sucking sound. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. And, and that, I think that's a direct quote, and it, it tied that to Bush as an albatross, and that was mm-hmm. further. That was further captured in the very concise statement, it's the economy stupid. Those are the dynamics, and that's the phrase. I think read my lips is, is, gets, yeah. gets a, a very low rating for me in terms of, 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 of why he lost. Very low. Yep. Well, maybe we need to uh, install the upgrade patch. 
on the blimometer. <laughs> because we do. Huh? Well, I, I, I think, think that I think she didn't, I, maybe. <laughs> Don't think uh, she appreciated. John. No, I, I think I, I, I think she was I, I, rebelling. I don't think she appreciated uh, what you said earlier, John. Well, John serves me right for keeping the blimometer in uh, the same uh, closet where I keep my old uh, mini disc player and my VHS <laughs> player, <laughs> gathering dust. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of the Barstool Historian. Uh, like I said, uh, we're going to put out some reruns over the next uh, couple of weeks while we uh, uh, get some new stuff into uh, the pipeline. Um, sorry about my cold. Yeah, we're, 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 we're almost all through uh, rehab. So, yeah. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers for all of you. And yeah. so hopefully by then my, my, uh, my head cold will be over and... Uh, it will be a lot more pleasant to listen to. Um, but until then, um, this is John uh, with Tim and Ed signing off. And, uh, oh, yes, you can find all of our old episodes at www.barstoolhistorian.com. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. The, um, the addresses for those I can't remember at the moment, so I'll add those on at the end of the episode. Uh, until then, gentlemen... Bye bye. Bye bye. And one more thing here's the social media information that I was missing while we were recording. You can follow us on Twitter at, appropriately enough, The BS Historian. And you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com Barstool Historian. See you there.